Come on, let's welcome the chapel in Richmond. Love you guys. Honored to have you with us. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. We're in a sermon series called David the Great. I'll tell you about that in just a minute, but I love to look in the camera and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Scott's edition. Love you guys. Good morning, 930. Love what God's doing in the city. Pray for you every day. Thankful for your faithfulness, the way that God's making a difference in our city. And then, of course, the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail. It's a joy to be able to worship with you all today. You're not a project to us. You're our people. And so we're honored to have you here with us today. How's everybody feeling? Good? Good. Well, let's, uh, we're in a series on the life of David where we're looking at a, a real man who loved God, but he was not perfect. Do I have any not perfect people in the room, right? And in fact, he wrote a bunch of the Psalms. The Psalms are the middle section of the Bible. If you were to open your Bible right in the middle to, to the biggest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, it's 150 songs of David, about half of them he wrote. And uh, some of them are worshipful. And, and it's amazing because there are some chapters of the Bible that you understand, but then there are some chapters of the Bible that you're surprised by. And uh, the book of Psalms is kind of like that. It has these wonderful songs of worship. And then it has songs of lament. That means just complaining. How many like to complain once in a while? Thank you for being honest. You know what I mean? Like country music, kind of, you know, my dog died, my truck broke down. I mean, there's some of those in there. In fact, I did a whole, I had a whole uh, uh, semester in Bible college on the imprecatory Psalms. Those are actually a whole section of Psalms where David just wants to fight his enemies, okay? Do you know that's in the Bible? Have you ever wanted to fight or just been mad at someone? Oh, come on. Have you ever been mad at somebody? In fact, he's like, Lord, would my enemies chew gravel and let their teeth fall out? I mean, it's the kind of thing that if we sang it in the morning, it'd be like, it's in the Bible. But you'd be like, no, don't, don't throw babies off cliffs. I mean, it had all kinds of things. It's very strange. I shouldn't have said that. I won't again, but uh, it's in the Bible. Here, here's all I'm saying is David had real emotions. And there are moments we feel in love with God and feel on top of the world. And then, come on, friends, there are moments we don't feel like we have it all together. Have you ever gone to church when you didn't want to? Hmm, come on, anybody, right? Like ever been to, you know, I got two kids can't wait for school. Two kids can't wait to not go to school this week, right? Like, like, and so we know what it's like to go through the full range of human emotions. And David had that. I think it's one of the gifts to us in the Bible is David's real life and how he really lived. And some days everybody else was loving life, but David knew what it was like to go through struggles. Some days David felt like this. Come on. Some days David felt like this. Tell me when you see her right in this, right? Like everybody else is happy and everybody else is enjoying life, but not me. I'm not feeling great. And, and, and David knew what that was like. And, and, and in fact, we're going to look this weekend at how he dealt with discouragement. And discouragement is a contagious disease. It's a repeating disease. It's a, it's a contagious disease. It's, it's something we have to deal with over and over again in our life. And we're going to look at how David dealt with discouragement and overcame it and turned his discouragement into encouragement. But let me just remind us, we don't need to be people that trust our feelings. In fact, I love what Deal says. He said, we cannot trust our feelings. And yes, often Christians are prisoners of their own feelings. And consequently, they can be very up and very down. And, and, and I think we need to find a way in life to not be a prisoner to our own feelings. 
We need to find a way in life to, to, in fact, speak faith into our lives. It's one of the things the psalmist David does over and over again is he tells himself how to feel. Have you ever talked to yourself? Did you know it's biblical? David, literally, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, soul, and all that is within me. Here's what he's telling himself. Sing it until you feel it. In fact, I've heard somebody say to me, they asked me a few years ago, Pastor, what do I do if when I show up to church, I don't feel like singing those words? Am I a hypocrite if I sing words I don't feel? And I said to them, I think you should sing them until you feel them. Because it's, a, it's an act of faith. And David would say, Psalm 42, why so downcast, O your soul? Put your hope in God. And so it's okay to talk to yourself once in a while and to encourage yourself. So I want to talk this weekend for a few minutes together about some causes of discouragement in our lives. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30, mostly in that chapter. It's one of the most desperate moments of David's life and one of the most challenging moments. So we're going to look at some causes of discouragement for the next 10 10 minutes, I'll get you discouraged, and then I'll help us dig out of it, okay? That's my goal today. First cause of discouragement David deals with in this chapter is just his circumstances. And I'm really convinced that we live in a world that for the last couple of years has gotten stuck in discouragement. In fact, I read a New York Times article a year ago that described a new word to describe post-COVID America, and that was languishing. They said that's the difference. But that's, it's when you split the difference between depression and joy. People aren't sure they're fully depressed, but they're not joyful. They're just languishing in the here in between, right? They're dealing with circumstances that we don't like. And I, I think there's a pandemic of fear, a pandemic of negativity, a pandemic of disappointment. How many know that's true in our lives, right? In fact, my daughter and her friends, I think it was two years ago, they're getting ready to go to their little prom thing at high school and they all had their dresses on and took pictures and we dropped them off. And I'll never forget their first experience as they had laid out a social distancing prom, okay? And so there was all these lights. It looked like tic-tac-toe strip lights on the floor. And each kid got to stand in their box. She said, Dad, I don't want to stay here. I said, I paid $200 for that dress. You're going to stand right there. In your tic-tac-toe lit up square. How many have had a disappointment in the last year, right? Uh, so David, David in 1 Samuel 30 has perhaps the most disappointing experience of his life. He, he and a group of men, his mighty men, this group of four to 600 men that are with him are on the runs. King Saul is mad. The Philistines are rising in power. They come back from a battle, make a 60 mile trip back to Ziklag. That's where we are in 1 Samuel 30. And when they get back to where their, their families are, they discover that, that their enemies have taken captive their families and they hit circumstances that break their heart. And David and his men reach Ziklag and they found it destroyed by fire. And their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Imagine the uncertainty of this moment. So David and his men, come on somebody, wept aloud. And look how deep their grief was until they literally had what? No strength left to weep. Have you ever had grief that went beyond grief? That's what David's experiencing. 
Doesn't know if his sons and daughters, his, his, his wives, he has two. That's for a different sermon. Don't do that. Okay. I don't want anyone leaving here going, I didn't know they were for that. Come on. How many know one wife is enough? I mean, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> Amen. One husband is enough. Come on. One man, one. Okay. You get it. Okay. Yeah. We good around here. I just don't want you thinking we're a cult. And so David... <laughs> He doesn't know where his family is. He, he doesn't know there's an uncertainty in his life. There's a brokenness of circumstance and discouragement settles in on his soul. I heard somebody say this about discouragement. I thought it was true. They said discouragement is like sand. It gets everywhere. You ever come back from the beach and you try to, you just try to figure out how you have sand in your ear and how you still have it in your shoes and, you know, and this is what happens. It settles into David's life and he, in fact, not only weeps, he weeps aloud. And I love the fact, by the way, that David, who always led his men, also led them in weeping. I think there's something about being honest with our emotions. In fact, can we just say this this morning, chapel? It's okay to sometimes not be okay. I hope we pastor and lead a church where we can just be honest about our feelings, where we can just say it's been a terrible day, where the greeter can say, how are you this morning? And you can say terrible. How many want to be a part of an authentic community, right? Like how many have ever had moments it didn't go good, right? And and David's living through this and he not only leads his men in battle, but he leads them in weeping. He leads them in grief and his grief is so big because of the circumstances. The city's destroyed. His family's far away. He doesn't know the future. He's overwhelmed about about his circumstances. But not only are his circumstances hitting him, but there's a breakdown in his relationships around him. And all of a sudden, something amazing happens. David's men, who were fully for him, all the way in with him, they start to turn on him. Look at these words. And David was greatly distressed because the men who were with him were talking of what? Stoning him. And look at their attitude. Each one was bitter in spirit. The men were thinking of stoning him. How many, usually, how many know usually that will break up your small group? I was thinking of poisoning you with the dip this week. I mean, okay, well, you're out of the group, okay? What's David going to do? They've experienced such grief. They're turning on their leader. Each one's bitter, the brokenness, the uncertainty of where their kids are. They're, They're facing not only circumstantial pressure, but relational pressure. And all of a sudden, their world is is turning on them. And David isn't sure what to do. David isn't sure. He's just in a moment of weeping. He's in a moment of uncertainty. Have you ever found that not only circumstances can depress you, but come on, somebody, relationships can depress you. In fact, I've discovered this with four kids. There's always one kid to keep me encouraged. And there's always one kid to keep me discouraged. And it's like whack-a-mole. Come on, somebody. Like, I fixed this one. Oh, I fixed this one. Okay. Fix it. Maybe that's my problem. I'm trying to fix them. I don't know. But how many know relationships are tough? Somebody asked me. They said, I come out of church hurt. What will my experience be at the chapel? Well, I think we're a healthy church, but I make this promise to everyone here. If you commit to the chapel and attend the church for 10 years, somebody will hurt your feelings. Can I get an amen? Right? In fact, Billy Graham once said, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't, don't go to it. You'll mess it up the day you show up. That'll preach. 
And here's what I'm telling you today. Not only can circumstances sometimes discourage our soul, but sometimes the brokenness in our human relationships and just the complications of life and the erosions of friendships and the pain of life and difficulty and disappointment can turn in our soul. And I want to encourage you today not to let the discouragement around your soul get on the inside of you. Because David actually does something interesting. He never turns on those who turn on him. He never becomes bitter like the men around him. He actually stays sweet with them. I'll show you it in a second. But you and I, when people and circumstances affect us, have a choice of whether or not we'll let, we'll let the, the, the discouragement and the bitterness on the inside of us. How many know it's not the storm around our boat that sinks us. It's when we let that storm on the inside of our boat that sinks us. And David doesn't do this. The men think of stoning him. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just skip ahead just a few verses towards the end of the chapter. And then we'll come back to the middle of it. But David and his men decide they're going to go and on a mission. But the, the men have just traveled 60 miles to Ziklag. And about 200 of the men are too weary to go into battle. So they stay behind. And all of a sudden, there starts to become a relational issue. David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besser Valley. And they came out to meet David and the men with him as David and his men approached. And he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers says, because they did not go out with us. We will not share with them the plunder we recover. Hey, David, they weren't part of the trip. They, they were too tired to go with us to fight the battle. Why should we have to? Let's turn on them. Let's leave them behind. I want you to see the mercy of David. David replies, look at this. No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. Let me just pause for a second. You're never stingy with what you have when you know who you have it from. David says, yes, we went out to capture it, but God gave us strength. I'm not going to hold back from others. And, he, and God has given it to us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came. He says, we're going to share what we have with other people. We're not going to treat them. How many know we need a people that are gracious towards one another, right? He says, we're not going to start the keeping track of who said, she said, they said, I'm doing, he, I'm not going to, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to create a community of faith where I don't turn on other people. In fact, if you lead anything, just write down this quote. It's a famous one, but it's so helpful. When people praise you, don't let it go to your head. And when they criticize you, don't let it go to your heart. Isn't that good? Because the danger, the first one is they'll praise us and we'll get, we'll get um, believing our own press, our own ideas, and the, or we'll get discouraged. And, and so part of leading anything is knowing the ups and downs of life. I had a, a pastor friend, in, uh, pastor mentor in New York who taught me this principle. He said, when you're a pastor, I want to teach you something. He said, every decision you make, there's 5% or so of your church that doesn't like that decision. And so he said, you've got to learn to handle criticism. And I said, okay. And uh, he said to me, if you want everyone to like you, you shouldn't be a leader. You should just sell ice cream. <laughs> and when he said that, I'll never forget it. He said, if you want everyone to like you, just sell ice cream. Everyone likes people who sell ice cream. But don't be, how many know part of life is, is uh, dealing with not only praise, but criticism, right? And, 
And David deals skillfully and kindly, winsomely and lovingly with people around them. I got, I got news for you. The longer I lead and the longer I'm part of a community of faith, the more I value people that are, can not only get stuff done, but who can get stuff done playing well with others. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever been around somebody that gets something done, but there's dead bodies behind them? You know what I mean? I want people who not only love God and get stuff done, but love people. Come on, and put up with people. How many know people are fun and interesting? Come on, just turn to the person next to you and tell them you're interesting. Come on, tell them that today. You're interesting. David understands the challenge isn't to not fall in the water, but to not stay there. He has to have a bounce back, a resiliency a sense of comeback. And I remember as a kid, we had a volleyball in my cousin's pool and we tried to swim to the bottom of the deep end and touch the volleyball on the, on the uh, bottom of the pool and it would fly up and whale, you know, just like a missile. Because there was something about not just going down, but there's something about the power that came back. And there's something in David's life and soul that when he gets pushed down, comes back. He, he not only has these this, this causes of discouragement. Let me share with you a couple of cures to discouragement. I'll give you three of them this weekend. Three cures. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've walked through challenge. Maybe you know what it's like to battle the daily experience of discouragement. All right, that's the causes. How do I get the cure? Here's the first thing that David has, and we need it. And that is we need more than just ourselves. We need God's presence. How many need more than just yourself? You need God's presence, right? In fact, being in church on the first day of the week is just a declaration of dependence. God, I need you. And so David has this problem. His family's far away. He's not sure if they're okay. His troops are turning on him, and he has a secret weapon. I want you to see it. He learned it. We learned this two weeks ago on the backside of the desert when he learned to worship. I love this verse. You should, you should memorize it. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Come on, let's say that out loud together. Come on. But David what? But David found in the Lord his God. David found strength. There are moments of life when we're walking through disappointment and and, and discouragement and circumstances and relational strife that yes, we need other people, but there are moments we just need to get into God's presence. And David found strength in God. What he learned as a harpist on the far side of the, of the field, watching his sheep and learning to worship God, came back to him now and he went to that reservoir of God's strength and God's presence. In fact, Psalm 18 may be written during this time. In my distress, I called to the Lord, he said. I cried to God for, for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his Years. David knew what it was like to get in God's presence. In fact, that's what we're trying to do in 21 days of prayer is we're just trying to get into God's presence. We're trying to say, God, uh, uh, fall is a big ministry season and we got team night coming up and men's night and, and all the new things, groups. And, but God, before we do any of that, we really just need your presence and your power, your strength, the, the goodness of God in our church, the strength of God. David knew what it was like to find strength in God's presence. Not only that, God found strength, or David found strength in God's what? Come on, God's what? God's people. 
He did not live life alone. The Bible describes his situation when it says, David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley. David knew what it was like to have a group of people with him. Now remember, these are the same guys that wanted to kill him four verses earlier. So we're gonna have to deal with imperfections in human relationships, right? But yet David was planted in a community of faith. It's why we do these small group leader trainings every week and that's why we launch new groups. That's why we have, we have different groups launching. In fact, I just decided I'm going to launch this semester a pickleball group, okay? Who plays pickleball, okay? It's like lazy man's tennis. You're going to love it. I can only take the first 16 in my group. But um, in fact, after the 815 service, somebody came up to me and said, I do pickleball um, therapy. That's my job for a living. And I said, I don't even know what that is, but... Uh, I don't know, but no, here's the idea. We're just trying to group people in community. I think after a couple of years of isolating people and distancing people, people are in need of human relationships. How many know the Bible says it is not good for man to be alone, right? Adam alone, even in the garden of Eden with all the perfection of unbroken communion with God, it was still not good for him to be alone. God has made us for community and connection. And that's why we have Bible study groups and freedom groups and men's groups and women's groups and, 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 and rec group, all because we're just trying to get us in community with one another that we might find relationships. And David and his men, they come together and they learn the secret not to fight with each other other but I love this they learn to fight they learn to fight for each other okay can I just say this I think we live in a world that exists to turn people against one another to create groups and then have us fight with each other as a church we want to be people that fight for our city not with our city okay in fact if you've ever been to our campus in Richmond on the entryway of the of the lobby there it just says we are for Richmond. I just want to say this this weekend. We are for our city, right? We just did a big breakfast for the school right across the street here. And somebody asked, why do we do Chick-fil-A breakfast for the schools? Because we are for teachers. We are for students. We are for the community. We want to be a church, and David does that. He brings his people together rather than letting them splinter in different groups. He says, no, 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 we're going to fight with, not with each other. We're done turning on one another. We're going to fight for each other. You ever talk to somebody who's been in combat? One of the dangers is friendly fire, isn't it, right? That there'd be miscommunication. All of a sudden, you'd lose your life, even, even from somebody on your own team. I think for too long, Christians are fighting over little things. I had somebody say, well, what? If you don't agree with me with end times theology, then I'm against you. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not going to divide on end times theology, right? You can be wrong. I can be right. That's fine, right? How many know we, need, we got more in common in Jesus Christ? We need to be together on things, right? A sense of unity and togetherness. And we're not letting this thing splinter us and divide us. And David takes men that are distressed and he makes peace with them. He restores them. He, he heals their human relationships. And here's what he does. David, as his, as his uh, family's far away, he goes to the priest and he inquires of the Lord, the Bible says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Let me just pause for one second Saul the king at this time never sought the priest to to inquire of the Lord David regularly inquires of the Lord 
How many know that's the sign of spirituality, right? David doesn't even rush into assuming. He pauses and he goes to the priest and he seeks uh, divine direction. And what he gets, another cure, not only God's presence and God's people, David gets a promise from God that God will give him success. How many know we need to be people that listen to God, right? Now, God speaks to us primarily in two ways. Number one, he speaks to us, this is the primary way, through his word, the Bible, okay? We are a Bible based local church okay i'm gonna say it again because i think there must be a presbyterian or a baptist in the room that will amen me come on we're a bible-based church come on somebody bible-based church i heard i actually had somebody say to me the other day i'm not sure i'm looking for a bible-based church i just want a jesus church and i said well i don't know what that is because jesus is kind of in the bible so I'm, hey, I want to just say this. I don't think you can pluck a Jesus out of the Bible and remake him into the way you want to make him say what he wants to say. You got to let him be who he is, okay? And who he is is revealed in scripture. So God wrote a book. We stand on God's word under the authority of God's word. Let's take a church vote. All in favor of standing on God's word, say aye. aye. All right, good. Unanimous. We're in there, okay? Not only does he speak to us through his word, but he speaks to us through his promises spoken in the stillness of our heart. And, and David seeks for understanding. In fact, I was reading this, I shared it the other day, that shepherds actually tell us that if flocks of sheep get, um, get meshed, two different shepherds can walk the opposite way and all they have to do is keep speaking because their sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And that's what we're trying to do in 21 Days of Prayer. That's what we're trying to do in Freedom Groups. That's what we're trying to do in opening God's word every Sunday is just acquaint us to the sound of our shepherd's voice because we live in a world, a culture that's shouting all kinds of things at us. Follow this way and follow that way. I want to have, a, have an understanding of the, my, the, the voice of my shepherd, right? And David gets the promise from the priest. He says, go ahead and pursue them. You're going to overtake them. And David and his men have a great victory. They're restored with their families because he seeks the cure for his discouragement in God's presence and God's people and God's promise. He centers it all on the grace of God, the strength of God, the power of God. Now, um, when I talk about encouragement and discouragement, I can't even say it without thinking about my dad. And uh, my dad got saved in his mid-20s, and he had, my dad worked through some things in life, but one of the things that was my dad, I think this would be, Katie would say even, uh, my dad's greatest strength was he was an encourager. He wasn't perfect, but he was an encourager. In fact, he would encourage us at the very, he was, an, he was a morning person too. He was an encourager in the morning, okay? 6 a.m., he'd say, how can you stay in that bed? It's a good day. And I would say, I am furious at you right now, you know? Get up. Do you know all the possibilities of today? And wherever he went, my dad was an encourager. I mean, everywhere he went, my dad owned a construction company. In fact, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I am more prone to problem seeing and, and, and discouragement than I am encouragement. So if I strike you as an encouraging person, it's because it's I get that from my dad. Where are the people that you walk in and you see the problems? Come on, just, that's me, okay? But my dad taught me how to be an encourager. Everywhere he went, he encouraged people. And uh, we'd go in and out, he, construction company. So we'd go out in and out at Home Depot eight times a day. And man, in and out all day. His name was Ted, but they all called him Teddy. Oh, there's Teddy. Hey, Michael, Jimmy. 
He, this is true. Back in the day, you could do this. He would scan himself out if they were busy at Home Depot before there was self-checkout. He would just, he knew how to do it. He knew the code because he'd been there so much. And new employees would be like, sir, you can't do that. And the other employees would go, that's Teddy. Just let him do it. I, I watched him work, work a forklift at Home Depot with no authorization. I said to him, do you know how to work a, a forklift? He said, it can't be that hard. And I said, I feel like it could be. And uh, it was a little bit, not a, it was a, it just, yes, sir. You know, you know when they cross the aisle, they, they um, close the aisles? He, he just, hey. I, I, I have a little bit of this in me because of my dad, you know. Katie's like, there are no rules for you. I'm like, if you just smile, life goes right, you know. Yes, sir. He would just open the aisle and they'd be like, sir. And he'd be like, I'm just grabbing one thing, my friend. Yes, sir. <laughs> Had this like spirit about him. I can't describe it. Anything other than just an ex- a spirit of an encourager. When my dad died in January two years ago, I got texts and Insta messages and Facebook messages from friends I hadn't talked to since 10th grade. And literally they would all, they would say it in different words. But they would describe the impact my dad had on their life. Because <laughs> my dad would just encourage them and speak life into them. And they, wherever he was, he'd, he had this big hand, just slam him on the shoulder. Mm, young man, you're going to do great. I see something. In, uh, yeah, he just, that guy. That guy. If there's one legacy I want to be a part of my life, I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be somebody that just walks around and says, I see something in you. And I, I don't know about you. I think the bad news bears are everywhere in the world. I want to be a church that's preaching good news and hope and a gospel. In fact, I want you to see this. David was not only encouraged, he became an encourager. In fact, one of the things you can do if you're discouraged today is just start encouraging other people because somehow it actually works to break discouragement in your life. And we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but David becomes king. And all of a sudden he asks a question and you would think, he asks this question, is there, he's king now, is there anyone alive from the house of Saul? Now in biblical days and ancient history, a lot of times a new king would kill off the lineage of the previous king so that there was no threat to their throne. So if you were reading this in the ancient world, you would expect the end of the verse to say, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I might knock him off so I have no threats to my throne? And in fact, Saul wasn't good to David either, but David says, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show, come on, what? Show what? Because encouraged people encourage people. Because David knew what it was like to strengthen himself in the Lord, he became an encourager of others. We don't have time to look at it, but there's this man that he's told of. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was dropped as a child and his legs were injured. And Jesus, or, or, uh, uh, David's told Mephibosheth, is, there, he's, there's one from the house of Saul and Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. He was dropped as a child. He has this problem. But, but, but here, and David says, bring him to me. And he restores to him the land of his father and grandfather, gives him a seat at his table. Why? Because encouragers are attracted to brokenness. And David shows kindness. David shows kindness to Mephibosheth. Here's the last verse. Proverbs says, if you want to be refreshed, refresh others. Whoever refreshes others themselves will be refreshed. Here's all encouragement means, to put courage into someone. That's all I'm doing. Here's the amazing thing about encouragement. 
It's free. You don't have to have any money, <laughs> any talent. You just become an encourager and you become invaluable. And David speaks encouragement. He has a culture of encouragement. And there's a, there's a, 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 a whole vibe under it. It's interesting because King Saul was jealous and insecure and uh, not merciful and a spear thrower. But King David was merciful and kind and encourager and gracious because he, he knew what it was like to not only receive encouragement from the Lord, but to be an encourager. I don't have time to preach it. I have a whole part, but I'll just tell you this one thing. David is a picture, theologians tell us, of the, of the ultimate king who is Jesus Christ. You can find this in Matthew chapter one, that Jesus comes through the line of David, that, that Jesus is a king like David, except he never committed any sin. And second Samuel chapter nine is a picture of a God, Jesus, King David, the ultimate King David, who never sinned, was never broken. And yet he came for some of us who were broken by sins. Aren't you grateful God is attracted to human brokenness, right? And Jesus Christ came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And what he does through the work of Jesus on the cross is he restores broken people, men and women, those of us broken in our own sin and restores us to royal treatment, seating at the table. That means this weekend, we don't have to be paupers. We don't have to be servants. We don't have to be far away. We don't have to be pining after God's love as some kind of view of this cosmic distant. We can be declared sons and daughters of God by the grace of God because of the goodness of our God in Jesus Christ. But you know, every other religion of the world this weekend is saying if you do a little more and try a little harder, maybe you'll earn the approval of your God. And Jesus alone says, you could never climb that high. So I came down. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but come on somebody, the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, let's not miss it. We've learned a couple lessons from the life of King David. But the Bible isn't primarily about King David. It's about the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, who came to rule and reign. And he's come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Would you bow with me all over this room? And I'm going to just pray and then I'll turn it over to the chapel in Richmond. No one's looking around. If you're here this weekend in the lobby or in Scott's Edition, Chesterfield County Jail or right in this room, I won't make it long, but if you... Say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you walked away from it and today you say, I want to come back home. Would you just raise your hand all over this room and say, pray for me. I'm not sure where I'm at. Would you pray for me today, Pastor? Just raise your hand and put it down. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Are there others? Just hold your hand up. Put it right back down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, young man. Yep. Anybody else? Just pray for me, Pastor. Yes, yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Pray for me. I'm not sure where I'm at with God. Yes, yes, sir. I see that. Thank you. Right where you're seated, you pray a prayer that goes like this, and then I'm going to turn it over to downtown. Jesus, I've, um, I've heard your message today that you love me, and that you came to bring me into a relationship with you, even though I'm broken. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord.
And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you save me today? Would you come into my life? Would you take away my sin? Would you give me a new start? Today, I make you my Lord and Savior. I'm going all in, the treasure of my life. Save me, rescue me. Take away my guilt and shame. And by your grace, help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.